you being exactly who we need you to be in our lives, oh God, and that is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between, oh God. We thank you for being Lord all by yourself, the sovereign one, the master that we serve on today, the God that we serve. No other gods will come before you on today. We're just thankful, oh God, for us being able to be joined together as one spirit this morning, oh God, as one unit on today, oh God, ready to be fed by, by you on today, oh God. Our cup is empty and it is lifted high, oh God. Fill us up, oh God. Fill us up with your spiritual nourishment on today, oh God. Lord, we're just so thankful on today, oh God, for what you're doing, oh God, what you are going to do, what you have begun to do, oh God. We are looking forward, oh God, to this word, oh God. And Lord, we're just so thankful, oh God. We lift up our spiritual leader before you on today, oh God. We're asking for you just to continue to anoint him, God. Anoint his eyes that he can continue to see you. Anoint his ears that he can continue to hear you, oh God. Lord, continue to anoint his hands, oh God, that he's able to just type out the things that you are speaking to him, oh God, that he will share with the people on today, oh God. We're thankful, Holy Spirit, that you are in this word on today that is tailor-made for each and every one of us on today, oh God. Lord, we're asking that you continue to just anoint his household, oh God, anoint his family, his wife, his children, oh God, as they all band together, oh God, and they follow you, oh God. They follow your bloodstained footsteps that you have set before them, oh God, as they serve you, oh God, as they follow you, oh God, and give back, oh God, to the community of people, oh God, that you have attached to them, oh God. And Lord, we're thankful for his obedience on today, oh God. And Lord, we're just so, we're asking that you just give him a spirit of being focused on today and not distracted on today. And Lord, we're just asking that you. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, for your glory. Amen, amen. Today I wanted to, the title of today's message, uh, I want to leave it as, Are You Inside the Chalk Line? Okay? And I'll talk about it, you know, what that means. But if you have your Bibles, let's go to First Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 to 6. First Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 to 6. These chapters, like a five, six, seven, and even eight, are like a, in the mode of transitioning um, from being like under the judges over to um, to the king kings. Um, the United Kingdom of Israel is about to get formed, but the, this was in that transitional period. It was in the middle period where. The children of Israel um, was getting ready uh, for the Lord. And uh, when I read this, uh, uh, it was just like amazing. Um, In fact, actually, I want to read from the last part of verse 2 and um, go to like verse 6. It says, during that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. And uh, the verse 3 says, Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of your foreign gods and your uh, images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone, 
and he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and in a great ceremony, drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that the Samuel became Israel's judge. That was the extra uh, credit that uh, um, the translators of uh, uh, NLT just threw that last part into that mix. Um, so here, we, we talk about revival a lot of times in the church, especially during the beginning of the new year. Um, there's so many churches they get behind. We want to have renewed spirit. We want to get rid of this religiosity, and we want to, to renew our mind. Uh, and so this is kind of thing that just lingers in the hearts and minds of people, right? And uh, we are doing a series now on like a how ordinary people, like a you and me, do an extraordinary work, right? And so I was looking at some of the re revivals that happened. One of the famous one is a John Wesley's revival, and it happened sometime in the 1730s to 1740s in that region, right? And, and the thing is that John Wesley uh, is not from U.S. He's actually uh, from Europe. And he comes to U.S. in Georgia. Uh, he comes to Georgia. And this is where all of these movements got started when, uh, when he was there. And I've always wanted to preach, the number of messages that I want to preach, I wanted to actually mimic uh, John Wesley's numbers. I don't know about his, uh, the content-wise, but the number of messages that he preached in a, uh, uh, his lifetime was well over 40,000 messages. I'm just like fascinated by that one. 40,000 messages, really? He, even if he do, did do the ministry for 40 years, it would have been 1,000 messages uh, a year and at least two or three messages a day for him to cover 1,000 messages in one year, right? And a lot of it, he preached from sitting on his horses. So I don't know about all those graphical things, but he preached his heart out. So the John Wesley revival is like one of those uh, revivals that was just like widely talked about when people talk about revival. But they asked him, why did you come to America? In, in 1735, America wasn't a very lucrative place like what we see today. 
when people come today to America, it's like a marketplace a lifestyle that is just like a filled with so much of like a luxury and uh, there's so much that America today can offer. But in, in 1735s, really? Why? Right? So here, John Wesley said, my chief motive to which all the rest were subordinate. He said, I have like a one reason, one reason. The rest is all like underneath, right? The number one reason why I came to America is the hope of securing my own soul. He said, the hope of securing my own soul. Really? John Wesley was saying he was trying to secure his own soul in the Lord. And that's why he came to America. A lot of times we think that we're going to uh, South America, we're going to help Colombia, we're going to help Mexico, we're going to help uh, Honduras, we're going to help uh, in, in Puerto Rico. We're just going there to help some you know, small churches in there to build their houses in Haiti and all these things. A lot of times we end up going into those kind of places and thinking we are going to help somebody else while God is working in us. Right? God's working in us. We may be going there to think that the revival is going to begin in those countries. I want to be part of that. No. It is God working to change what is inside you and me. And this is a one amazing quote that I found in John Wesley's uh, list of quotes. And he says, the grand, he called a prayer, the grand means of drawing near to God and found believing persistent prayer to be the necessary first step to see God move. If we want to see the revival happen, we want to see God move, it starts with prayer. Right? We have like this great Methodist revival. We have like this uh, Whitfield preaching and uh, all the things that we have seen. Um, it all started with like a, how John Wesley is talking about. He was securing his own soul. He was searching for God inside. Charles Finney, in the 1830s, uh, in Rochester, New York, right? He started this movement of revival. 30,000 people made a brand new commitment to Christ in one year. One year. And people asked, how do you explain that? He said, there was one man that prayed for this revival. He never attended his meetings or anything, but nonetheless, he prayed one man. He attributed the whole thing to that one God. Today, I just don't want you to take what you're offering to God as, as just, it so happened, I was praying. No, when we pray and ask the Lord to come in, we're just going to feel his presence and we're going to feel his movement. In the late 1800s, D.L. Moody, and he, uh, he's from Chicago. I don't know if somebody said this morning, I think it must be Miss Laurie. 
Real Moody is from Chicago. He went to London, and he did this amazing preaching for several days, very successful. And so at the end, they asked him, Real Moody has got a huge influence on Billy Graham's life. The later portion of like a people came from Real Moody, led Billy Graham to the Lord because of those crusades. And so they asked Real Moody, what is the secret sauce behind all this? And he said, it's because of a girl, a little girl, a bedridden little girl who was praying for him the whole time he was in London doing that crusade. Evan Roberts in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s, when he started this revival movement in 1904, he was 26 years old. He was not even a, a minister. He wasn't even a preacher. He was a minister in training. That's what they said. Right? But in less than half a year of his movement, right, over 100,000 people gave their life to Christ. New commitments. Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, they, they all bring such like a wealth of like a, you know, uh, uh, experience into this mix and, and uh, their preaching style is very powerful. And when we go behind all of those, uh, underneath the curtain, right, if we just like to take everything out and these guys are saying things like, uh, it is me who is searching for God. It is that, that one girl in the corner that was bedridden, was praying for me the whole time. It was this one guy who showed up and prayed for me. I mean, they're attributing to, you know, something very simple. Yet we think revival means I need to have a big tent and large group of people coming together and praying. No. It's restoring us to something useful. That's revival. In the medical condition, if, if a person dies, they need to be revived back to life. And that's what revival needs to do to us. Right? If we want revival in our life, what we need to do, here's one. And this is why I, I just based this whole thing around this guy, Rodney Smith. When we talk about revival, this guy is one of those guys that we cannot get rid of. Uh, Rodney Smith is known for amazing, amazing uh, work around the revivals. He was from England, uh, Epping Forest. He, he didn't grow in forest. He was near uh, this forest, lived north of London, right, in the 1860s. And... Uh, he gave his life to Christ when he was 16 years old. And uh, his mother and father are gypsies. And uh, I think it's his mom who just like gave her life first uh, and became a staunch believer and had an influence uh, on Rodney Smith. And this morning, Ms. Katina was talking about like uh, how uh, that going to those churches and going to those um uh, prayers and uh, standing up uh, near the altar and all those things. The moms have like so much to pour 
uh, into the lives of their children. And here, Rodney Smith uh, uh, gave his life to Christ. Uh, uh, and uh, William Booth, the, the founder of Salvation Army, uh, made him, uh, you know, asked him to preach uh, in his meetings. A lot of people gave their life to Christ. So at the end of the day, asked him, what is the secret sauce behind this? And here's what he said. Go into your closet, take a piece of chalk, and draw a circle around you. And ask the Lord for revival for everything that is inside of the chalk line. Okay? When God answers that prayer, then revival is on. Let me say this one more time. Go into your closet, take a piece of chalk, and draw a circle around you, and ask the Lord to revive everything that is inside of that chalk line. It has to begin with us. The revival has to begin with us. God has to take the deadness out of us first. He has to take the deadness out of our worship life. He needs to revive our worship life. He has to revive our prayer life. He has to revive the cluster. Every cluster of a body needs to be revived and our mind needs to be revived. We need to be on fire for the Lord. If God is just like speaking to you to do something, don't go out there and do something because you're asked to do. Go back to your closet first and draw that circle and ask God to work on you to begin the revival. Then when you come out of that room, the, the fire in you will overflow upon people. The fire in you will just like a spread wild around you. And that's why I want to call this morning this message, Are You Inside? the chalk line this morning. If you are looking for a revival, you are looking for a change, you want to do something for the Lord, ask yourself this question, are you inside the chalk line? It all begins with the restlessness in us, and we read that. We read that in verse 2 of First uh, Samuel chapter 7, we read that all of the house of Israel, it's not like a one person, it's the entire house of Israel, they were restless, they were moaning, and they were seeking after the Lord. The, the revival movements never start when we have everything available to us. It doesn't mean that the, you need to have all the answers for your uh, your, your quest, uh, you don't need to have answers for all those things that need to happen. It has to happen, and it will begin to happen with the restlessness God has placed in your heart. That restlessness that you have is exactly where you should be right now. The first time when we heard the word COVID, there was a restlessness across this nation and across this world, there was a restlessness that you cannot take away from the people. All of a sudden, they cannot go to church. Oh, well, every church was trying to figure out, 
how do we do what we do? Restlessness is what, you know, becomes the mother of the Bible. The restlessness in us, just like it gave birth to online churches and uh, uh, online, um, uh, you know, worships and uh, prayer time and so on. It's just like a change the paradigm of how we worship the Lord. We don't have this. If only COVID wasn't there, we wouldn't have entertained such idea. Right. Think of the 9-11. The people were searching for God when everything was collapsing. No intelligent pundit out there was out there on TV trying to say how to solve this problem. Only my Savior has the answer to solve that problem. And these restlessness is what God uses. We've talked about this before, the different kinds of clouds that we have in the sky. Many of the clouds that we see there makes no difference. They're out there. There are like four types of clouds and 10 types of clouds and 20 types of clouds. There is a Wikipedia of like over 100 types of clouds. You know what? It doesn't matter what their names are. When you walk out today, look at the sky, and you will see the white patches of clouds out there on that sky and makes absolutely no difference. You know which cloud makes the most difference? There are two kinds of clouds. Those are the only two that actually makes the rain come. One of them is cumulonimbus. Cumulonimbus. And the other one is a nimbostratus. Those are the only two clouds that makes rain come. The first one, the cumulolimbus, does bring the rain. It does help the land. But the one that is just like a pouring rain, that just like a takes down this, you know, earth by just like a storm, comes from nimble stratus. You know how those clouds are formed? Those clouds are formed when there is an uncertainty in the air. You want to see the Holy Spirit just like a pour out from the windows of heaven. It, 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 we need to have that uncertainty, the, un, uh, the, the restlessness, and that uh, we just need to see God just like a use that restlessness uh, and that we are just knowing that we don't have anything in control. We don't have every answer. And God says, perfect, that's exactly what I want you. If, if, if we can do what God is asking us to do, then we don't need God for that. That's why I really like what Pastor Stephen said in his book, Stand Still. If, if the vision that God has given to us does not intimidate us, then there is a good chance that we are insulting our God. There is a very good chance we are insulting our God. You know, this enemy that we have is just like out there, like ready to roar, ready to come up for us, ready to steal, 
kill, steal, and destroy. He's waiting for a chance out there, trying to put the fear in us, trying to put this, you know, the uh, the angry and frustration and the distraction around us. So that's what he wants to do. But God says, don't pay attention to all those things because I'm going to take your misery and make that into a ministry. I'm going to take what you're offering to me. Those fish and bread is all I need. Just give me what you have in your hand. I will multiply that. And God says that restlessness is the beginning. Don't underestimate your restlessness because without which the children of Israel never saw the revival happened. Right before, why were these people so restless? The, if, if we turn back the pages, go to the fifth chapter and sixth chapter of uh, the first Samuel, we see that God sent the, uh, you know, the, the, the people of uh, Philistines, they come and they take the Ark of the Covenant and they destroy Shiloh. They take everything out of the temple and uh, they, they want to make a statement. So they took the Ark of the Covenant that was there into their land. And from the time they took that Ark into their land, nothing but destruction happened. The rats were showing up and the, the, the God that they worshipped was falling apart. And the land was having epidemic. The, the land was having diseases after diseases after disease. And then, here's what they decided to do. They put the cart on a, on a uh, they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. And they, they just put these two cows that has never been yoked. And they are saying to themselves, if this cow travels 10 miles on this direction and go to the a border where the Israelites are, then we know it is what God has allowed it to happen. And when they put the, the Ark of the Covenant on the cart and the cows went straight line, 10 miles towards the, the, the border of Israel. And then when the cart came into the Israel, these guys were watching from distance. And the and the children of Israel acted in, in, in such, you know, dishonorable way. They touched and did this and did that. And God was just like a fuming over the, the, the children of Israel. And they got scared. The, the, the beginning of wisdom happens when we, when we know that God is in control. In the middle of your restlessness, uh, we need to know that God is still in control and he's still sitting on the throne. And then comes the chapter 7 that we read today, that the people are still very scared and restless. And here's what God says. I really like that part. I want you to stay there because I can now work with you. The second thing about expecting a revival to come, expecting something to happen in our life is this. We need to be 
receptive. We need to be ready to listen to God's voice. We need to be ready to be listening and worshiping and praising God. We need to get closer to God. Then the verse 3, it says, Samuel said to the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then and get rid of yourselves, the foreign gods, and prepare your heart for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hands of Philistines. Up until this point, the children of Israel was not listening to the Lord. Finally, their hearts are just starting to turn. Listen to this man named Samuel. Their consciousness was pricked as he preached because their hearts already sensed this. God got their attention, and now he is speaking to them. And when, when they hear that, they immediately gotten rid of all those foreign gods. What is, what is this verse telling us today? We need to be in God's zone. We need to be where God wants us to be. We have to remove and turn away from all those things that is just distracting us from being in the presence of God. We need to have a conviction in our hearts for the Lord. We need to have a conviction over the word of God. We need to have this desperation for the Lord. A.W. Tozer, he wrote this book called The Pursuit of God and the, the Human Thirst for Divine. He says to have found God, which we all do. See, there's nobody in this line can ever say, oh, I don't like God. We've already found God. In this line, people have given their life to Christ. There's nothing like, you know, we are hearing for the first time about Jesus. We've always heard about them, right? So A.W. Tosin says, to have found God, which we have all done, and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. If we still continue to pursue him, that's the beautiful place that God wants us to be. And when we pursue God, he opens the door to something that we have never been to. He uses that. The third one, <clears throat> this is a very strange, but let me tell you, emptying yourself, emptying yourself, it's, it's like, a, uh, when you read that uh, verse 6, it's talking about it, but uh, a lot of times we think too much about ourselves. We think that uh, we try to solve these problems on our own, and God says, no, 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 just empty yourself. And we see that the children of Israel were doing it in verse 6. When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and, they, and there they confessed with sin against them. So what, what is up with this? Like they take a jug and go and, and take the water using the – that's what they did. They drew water from the, uh, you know, from the river or wherever they took the water from, right? And they poured it before the Lord. What are they doing, right? It's very symbolic. They're pouring out their life to the Lord. They're pouring out 
their worship to the Lord. They're emptying themselves and surrendering before this Lord. And this process is called the water libation. Right? And in the Second Samuel chapter 23, um, David did this. He was in the middle of the battle, right? He was in the middle of the battle with the Philistines. In verse 15, David actually says, I long, David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gates of Bethlehem. David was just like a, making this statement while he was in the middle of the battlefield. He was just like a, saying to his people, I really wish I have some water with me, right? And so there were three men that, because he even said like, oh, there is a gate near the gate of Bethlehem. There is a well, and there is a water in that well. So he even gave like a lot of definition and description of where he wants that water from. So there were three men, and the Bible says in verse 16, mighty men broke through the Philistine camp, drew water from the wells near the gate of Bethlehem and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord. What was David doing? He wasn't asking that water for drinking purposes. He was asking for that water so he can empty himself before the Lord. He wanted to pour that as an offering before the Lord. Emptying ourselves is another place where the revival begins. And number four, we need to acknowledge the Lord at all times. Right? So Samuel comes. Samuel talks to these people. Samuel tells them, get rid of all your bad stuff. Get rid of your, uh, the idols. We've done studies on idols so many times, right? So I'm not going to go into that. But it's the habits. It's, uh, it's the lifestyle. It's the, the ones that we do that does not honor God. Or we put God before. Um, we put things before God's work. Or, you know, we give more importance to things that is not have an eternal value. Those are idols, right? So then, um, after all that, uh, People have given up their, their thing, and they poured out the water before God, right? In verse 12, the Bible says, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. So what happened in between is this, right? While the children of Israel were actually getting restless and emptying themselves, right, the enemy was trying to come after them. The Philistines were getting even more, you know, aggressive, and they wanted to capture uh, the children of Israel while they were resting in the Lord, right? This is another thing. God says, rest uh, in the Lord. A lot of times we don't rest enough. And uh, I'm a prime example of that too, you know. Uh, I'm constantly doing something, right? But God says, rest yourself, rest in the Lord. 
the Sabbath is a day to rest. At least once a day, I mean once a week, we have to take rest in the Lord. Especially the day of Sabbath is a, is a great example. If you start to work on this day and not taking rest, that's, that's like a disobeying God's word, okay? So I, 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 I am just like saying it as is, okay? So now, when the people, the children of Israel, were resting and trying to do God's work, the enemies were just like coming after the children of Israel. And the Bible says God sent thunder. Uh, God sent thunder um, uh, in, the, in the midst of uh, all these things. And uh, while they were sacrificing, offering and everything, the Philistines were trying to attack in verse 10, right? And the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day. And the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mitzvah to a place below Bethkar, slaughtered them all along the way. Here's the thing. When you're resting in the Lord, you're thinking, oh my God, I have to finish that work. I have to finish this work. I need to take care of that. I need to take care of this. God says, don't worry. Those things will be taken care of. In fact, my hands will take care of it. That's what he did to the children of Israel. Here's what God does to you and me. The cup that we have, it's almost like the cup that Starbucks gives, the 64-ounce cup. And every one of us has that 64-ounce cup. And God pours the coffee into that cup so you drink that. And the thing is that when we... We are worried about, like, our cup getting empty, that 64-ounce getting empty. And that's why we're thinking, oh, my God, I need more time to do this and more time to do that. But here's what God will do. He will stretch your time. He will chase your enemies. He will make the hands that does the work expand and do much more than what you can do. If only we honor God. Only if we acknowledge him, God will do everything for you and me. And the children of Israel thought that if they get like a king, the kings will fight for them and they will go. They forgot that their king is still sitting on the throne and he's still fighting. They didn't need another king. The king that is in heaven is on your side and my side. We don't really need another marketing or a strategy or a business plan or all these things that, you know, just let God worry about those things. You don't need to worry about those things. Have peace knowing God is in control. And when all these things happened, there was a peace. I really like what Miss Brenda said this morning. There was a peace that I experienced yesterday. That's what she said. When that peace comes in, we need to remember that peace. And that's what he did, Samuel did. He knows at that point that the children of Israel was protected and taken care of. The wall, uh, we are doing some study in the mornings uh, at 5.30, right? 
we're doing in the book of Zechariah chapter 2. And the God of this universe says, I will put the wall of fire under around you. When you step into the ring, when you put that line around you using the chalk, what happens inside of that chalk line is just like it fired up in you. The fire in you becomes a wall of protection around you. When you go out, you don't need to do any of these battles yourself. The Lord of this universe will battle on your behalf. The Bible says you are the apple of his eyes. Anyone tries to harm you will be harmed. And God, you know, gave that assurance. And he actually showed it to them. When you're expecting a revival to come, when you're expecting a change or a movement to happen, know this for sure, that God is involved in that movement, and you have to rest in the Lord. And the Bible says, that's what, uh, you know, uh, Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 3, verses uh, 5 and 6, 7, 8. I'm going to read that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Another version says, he will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. We need to create our own Ebenezer today. We need to have a memorial stone created for every victory that God gives you. If you are expecting a movement or a revival to start, you need to encourage yourself, and that encouragement comes when you look at the Ebenezer. He, he just named a stone called Ebenezer, nothing more. That was just a memorial stone. Right. If you, a lot of times we sing songs and we don't even realize that, um, what happens in that song. There was this amazing song, songwriter named Robert Robinson in 1700. He wrote this hymn that is even today, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount. This whole song, right? It's like, a, it says, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. This is just like, the, as I'm reading through this verse of this song, the lyrics of this song, is just like, you know, it just gets into every cluster of my body. It's just like, a, it, we just like to sing it like a, this whole, whole hymn song are just like a song with, like a, with such precision and the, the keyboard notes and everything. But the songwriter was just like a deep into the, the, the mighty clay, and he was just like a singing. He was just like saying, like, oh, my God, my nerves are just like a busting open, right? And he says, 
in the middle of that song, here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great harp I have come, and have hope by thy great pleasure safely to arrive home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh my God. It's almost like a, God took his blood and he just like intertwined with my blood. That's what he's saying. Interposed his precious blood. When we sing these songs, we're just like singing like a, you know, funeral home songs. No, this is a, like a song where our blood needs to, our nerves needs to, just like a bust open. He's saying, oh my God, I want to raise my Ebenezer. How many songwriters know the Word of God so much today to write a song like this? I raise my Ebenezer. He's quoting from what Samuel did in First Samuel chapter 7. This song is from there where Samuel raised his Ebenezer. He called the stone Ebenezer. What is your Ebenezer? God says, you need to know your Ebenezer. You need to know where your help comes from. You need to acknowledge him. Empty yourself. Find yourself in a place where you can let God revive every cluster and every blood and every nerve of your system. We don't need to do something more for the Lord. Uh, don't, don't, don't ever think that God needs to do more for you either. I really like what A.W. Tosa says. At one point he says, sometimes I go to God and say, this A.W. Tosa is like, writes everything in British English, or uh, I don't want to say British English, King, King James English, right? So I'm going to translate that into very colloquial. So, Sometimes I go to God and say, God, if you have never answered another prayer while I live on this earth, I will still worship you as long as I live in the age to come for what you have already done. God already has put me so far in debt that if I were to live one million millenniums, I, could, I couldn't pay him for what he has done for me. That is the kind of an attitude that God is looking for you and me. And, and the one thing that I know for sure is this. When we get to, to his presence with this kind of an attitude, Drawing a line, a circle, that line, around us and asking God to revive everything that is inside that chalk line is the beginning of revival. When God answers that prayer, the revival is on. You're on. Nothing's going to shake you because the fire is going to be built around every cluster, every note 
every cell and every nerve of your body, you're ready for the Lord. And what happens, the Lord will lead. Ms. Katina. Amen. You know, I just have to smile and um, at the goodness of God and what he does for me and what he does for everybody probably on this line. And not even probably because it's not just me. It's every one of us. You know, God truly does come to see about his children. And he sends a word. He sends a word that is tailor-made. And I hope that Sunday after Sunday or Friday after Friday or Tuesday or whenever we are in the presence of his word, that we take it seriously and that we take it to heart and we take it like it was made just for us because Mm. I know that's how I look at these messages. And every Sunday I just, I'm boiling over with anticipation of what it is that God's going to say to me today because Pastor Cyril, it's always right on time. (laughs) Mm. And I'm just so excited on today because, you know, I was a little reluctant this morning to even talk about, you know, the retreat that God was calling me to lead because I by no means wanted it to be about me, but Mm. yet I wanted it to be more about exalting God in the place that he have called and he's using someone, just a normal, ordinary person that he's using to be able to carry out his redemptive plan, a plan that is much bigger than I am. But I just, you know, I, I struggle because I don't want people to think that it's about me and about what I'm doing. No, mm-hmm. it's not about me. It's not what I'm doing. It's about what God is doing. It's about what God's plan is. And when we can Stop making the enemy make us feel as if we need to smother God's plan or not talk about God's plan, then there's victory in that place. And I decided that today I was going to talk about it on our platform so God can get the victory, so that God can truly do what he set out to do. I'm trusting him to set out to, to carry out his plan to do what he's called me to do. I'm surrendering unto his feet and saying, use me. I am putty in your hands, Lord. Mold me to be what you need me to be to help you carry out your redemptive plan so that everybody else can do what you've called them to do. I took that thing and I placed, I took, I I brought it with me today. And little did I know I was actually placing a chalk line around that retreat, placing a chalk line around me, placing a chalk line upon the very thing, the movement, the thing that needs to be revived. I brought it with me this morning as a a symbolic thing to God saying, here you go, I'm trusting you, I'm coming like my ordinary self with this thing in my hand, Outline me, God, with your chalk and revive this thing, revive this movement. I was praying to God, and I was asking him, Lord, here it is. I'm giving it back to you, my purpose, but for your purpose. So when we pray and we ask the Lord to come in to a place, we have to know that God is going to show up in the movement. He's going to show up in the retreat. He's going to show up in the assignment. He's going to show up in the very thing 
that he's calling you to, to do. God is working in us, and he is working to change what is already inside of us. He gave this vision. He planted this seed. So I have to trust that he is going to work it all out, that he's working to start and to change me first. It's not something that he gave me in 2022. This was a vision that he placed five years back. But in order for us for time to catch up with the moment of God, it had to start with me first. There were some things that God needed to clean up in me. There were some things that God needed to work on me, work in me, work out in me. Revival does. Pastor Cyril uh, talked about four points. He says that when we know that there is a movement, when we know that there is something that needs to be revived in our lives, when we know that there is something that needs to be restored in order to be something useful for God, he says that we have to know that it starts with us first. Process. It starts with us first. God needs to revive us first before he can revive the things that he's called us to be attentive to. We have to ask God to work on us. Kick off the revival. Starts with a simple word, yes. I'll do what you called me to do, God. Yes. That's the first step, saying yes. That's, that's saying start with me first. Use me as a testimony first. So go into your closet. I love that analogy. Go into your closet. Uh, Pastor Sarah, you talked about from the book that you read. And take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around you and ask the Lord to revive everything inside that circle. You know what that inside that circle looks like? That's your heart. Revive everything in your heart. I am coming empty before you. Clean my heart out. Give me a heart transplant. Here I am, ordinary person. Revive me so that I can do the work of you. Revival movement just does not start when we have it all together. He's not expecting for us to know the who, what, when, where, and how. He's not expecting for us to be perfect. He's expecting for us to say yes, just like I am. The Bible starts with you. The second point you talked about was it starts when you are restless. I could not stop did not leave me every time that I tried to do something else for myself, God would bring me back to the place. I've called you to do this. I've called you to do this. When are you going to do this? You're ready to do this. But I just couldn't see it. I wanted to try to do everything under the sun that I wanted to do, and God would not let me rest, would not let me stop seeing the thing that he's called me to do. I had to get to the place where I said, okay, God, you know what? I'm thankful for you allowing me to go to school, allowing for me to be able to get my degree. Now it's your time. Thank you, God, for blessing me with the very thing that I wanted to do for me. Now what do you want me to do? I'm now ready to give you your time. I'm ready to go all in for you. I'm ready to do what you called me to do. I will not let you rest about that thing. 
I didn't want destruction to be brought to my life or destruction to be brought into the lives of the people that are attached to me. So I had to. It was imperative that I said yes. Mm. The children of Israel dishonored God, and God was fumed with them. He was disappointed with them, and the children got scared. I got scared. I was scared to the point where I knew that if I did not allow God to carry out his work in me, that there were going to be ramifications or destruction, and I didn't want no part of it. God wants us to be convicted and pricked in our hearts. And this is a good thing, right? Because this is where the place where we are staying in the place where God has called us to be. We have to have tunnel vision and conviction in our hearts when we're going forward for the Lord. Be in continued pursuance of him. Give me what you have. I don't care about how it looks. Just give me what you have, what I placed in your hands, and I will multiply it. You don't have to know how to carry out a, a retreat. You don't have to know how to carry out the work that I've called you to do. You don't have to know, Pastor Cyril, how to build this school. You don't have to know how to do that. Hey, bring Amen. me what you do have and watch me multiply it, God Amen. said. Amen. The third point, he says, empty yourself. God doesn't want us to solve the problems on our own. He wants to solve it for us. Like the children of Israel, God wants us to be empty. He wants us to come and empty ourselves and pour out ourselves before him. And this is like pouring out worship and pouring out our life before God. Hallelujah. He wants us to empty ourselves. Okay, God, I'm messed up. I'm confused. I don't know how to do this. I don't feel equipped. I feel less than, but here I am saying yes unto you. I'm empty and I'm pouring out myself. I'm worshiping. I'm pouring out my life to you. Now, God, take it. Multiply it. I trust you. And the th- fourth point Pastor Cyril talked about was acknowledging the Lord at all times, resting in the Lord, putting no other things before God. God was showing me how imperative it was that I put nothing else before him to a point where I'm not even worrying about a part-time job that I was trying to seek. God said, no, I'll bring that to a place when the timing is right, but right now the timing is now for you to do what I've called you to do for the people, putting no other things before him. Not doing so, saints, is disobedience unto the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't want to disobey the Lord. We don't have enough time left to be disobeying the Lord. We don't have enough time left to be putting God on the back burner. We don't have enough time left. We have tomorrow left, okay? If we acknowledge God and rest upon his chest, he's going to take care of everything, even in the resting season. So in my closing... If you are expecting a movement or revival to come into your life, like Samuel. Samuel set up the stone and called the stone Ebenezer at the site of victory to commemorate it. We have victory already in the movement, victory already in the revival. 
What is your Ebenezer? What is your revival? What is your movement? What is that thing that God's calling you to do that you've just been not feeling like you're ready to do? Yeah, you are. Now is the time. You're ready. Work on you. What is your Ebenezer? Raise your Ebenezer up before the Lord. Ebenezer along with you and place a chalk line around it. And know that the Lord of your universe will take care of you, take care of that situation, take care of the details, and know that God is involved in the movement. He wants us to rest upon him and let him do the work. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Pastor Cyril. Amen, amen. Amen. As we go into the Lord's Prayer, Lord's Supper, as we go into that prayer, uh, I'm just going to ask ourselves today to take this chalk, this virtual chalk. You don't really need to have a physical chalk. You can have a virtual chalk. Draw the chalk around you right now and, and ask the Lord to just like a use everything inside that chalk line to be revived. God's looking for you to do that today. Don't walk away from this place without having that circle put around you. God has brought you to this place like what Miss Katina was pouring her heart this morning. God is just like I brought you to this place and he's saying, Let's get it on. This is our time. This is our time to glorify and honor him. And in order for that movement to start, God needs to revive everything that is inside that chocolate. All the dead things will gone. The things that is not pleasing to God will be gone. He's going to revive and restore everything that is inside the chocolate. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we brought before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts this morning. God, show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion, any unforgiveness. Father God, anything that hinders our relationship, Father, we want to leave it outside the chalk of circle. We know that we are your beloved children. Father, we've received you in our hearts. We've trusted you with our heart. Father God, we know that you are the only one who can die on that rugged cross to pay for my past, present, and the future sins. God, as we take this bread, representing your life that was broken for us, Father God, we want to celebrate this morning your faithfulness. Father God, we wanted to thank you for that extravagant love and this unmerited favor. Thank you, Father, for dying on that rugged cross. Father God, you're the only one who who made death invalid by dying on that rugged cross. God, we receive this bread this morning in remembrance of you. Let's take the bread. 
you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In the same way, we take this cup, representing your blood, poured out from that splendid cross. That you are the supreme sacrifice for all my sins, past, present, and future. Today we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through this blood you spilled. Let us take this drink. Father, we come before your throne of grace with so much of gratitude and uh, joyfulness. Father God, the magnificence of your presence. Father God, let it take over our hearts, mind, and soul this morning. God, we pray that you will just like help us to revive. Revive every cluster, every blood cell, every nerve. Father God, let it bust open from inside out. And we will be on fire for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And we will just take on this assignment, Father God, with such assurance that you are in it. Father God, I pray your blessings over each and every one of us this morning that your word will become alive in the days to come. We surrender ourselves into your mighty hands as you take the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Ah, The thing is, I want to read one small word as we go out of here this morning, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with the sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. The children are a gift from God. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like an arrow in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quaver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. As we go into this journey, of next step, God is saying, I'm on your side. And this battle that you're on will be won in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone, have an amazing, amazing day. We'll come back on this line next Sunday. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Pastor Cyril.